How many of you, Christmas is your favorite time of year? Would you, can I see a show of hands here? All right, many, many people. I love Christmas holidays, uh, the traditions and everything that goes with it. Uh, the music, love it. Yesterday, all day, music playing in the house. And, and I love the Christmas lights and you know, just the attitude of goodwill that so many people have and all of the different parties and celebrations, the movies. Uh, Y'all started watching your Christmas movies yet? You know, lots of fun there. The decorations, they're all so beautiful. Uh, But you know, when you think of Christmas, at least for me, I I many times go back to my childhood and just a lot of those memories. And so we've entitled this year's uh, sermon series, Traditions. The word tradition uh, comes from Middle French and Latin languages, and it comes from the same root word that we get the word trade, and we get the word transmit. They come from the same uh, root word. A tradition is a statement or a practice or a belief that is handed down from one generation to another. And we hand a lot of traditions down in our families over the years, some good and some not so good, right? Uh, I think... Probably Christmas is a time when, you know, so many of our traditions come to the surface. We celebrate often the holidays uh, similar to the way we celebrate them when, you know, when we were growing up, when we were kids. You know, what are we going to do on Christmas Eve? And when do we open the gifts? And, and what foods do we typically eat on Christmas? And what happens on Christmas Day? Then when we get married, you know, some of our Christmas uh, traditions kind of collide, right? You know, and uh, there's a little negotiation that goes on there. I mean, are we going to eat turkey, ham, or roast beef? These are big decisions, folks, you know. <laughs> Anyone want to guess what the number one protein on Christmas is? Is it turkey, ham, or roast beef? It's turkey, which is ridiculous, you know? (laughs) Turkey is for Thanksgiving. It had its day. It needs to go away, you know? That's my theory. Christmas is for ham. But... But I did some research this week, and sure enough, turkey is the, the winner. Through this series, we're going to look at some of the, the traditions and the highlights of you know, the Christmas season. I'm going to give you some of the stories behind Christmas lights and Christmas trees and Christmas candles and, and wreaths and candy canes and different aspects of the music. There are so many parts of Christmas that we pass on without even really thinking about it because it's just the way we do things, you know? But there are some traditions that we must be very intentional intentional about passing on. In Psalm chapter 145, verse 4, it says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And then in Paul's letter to Timothy, Timothy uh, Paul acknowledged to Timothy, he said, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So we see here that you know these grandparents and parents passed on to Timothy their faith in God, and I think that's that is the most important thing that we can do. The most important tradition that we can pass on to the next generation is our faith in God. And so we're going to talk about that uh, during this this whole series. That you know the reason that we celebrate Christmas, and uh, we're going to look at the miraculous birth of Jesus here today. We're going to go back to the very first Christmas day, back to the manger where Christ was born, and we're going to ask this question, who is this Christ child? Who who is this? We're going to look at uh, the manger through the eyes of Luke, and then a little bit later in the the message today, we're going to uh, actually transition and and see what John has to say 
Um, you know, Luke uh, was a physician, and so he clearly had seen many babies born in his career. But there was something different, something unique, something miraculous about the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to look at that today. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, we'll, get, we'll begin reading in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, it truly is our desire to understand who is Jesus, who is the Christ child. Uh, so God, at this time, so often we have so many traditions and parties and celebrations, and uh, Lord, I pray that as we get that season kicked off, that God, today, you would just help us to remember the significance of that birth, that you would help us to, Father, just understand it perhaps from a new way today that you'd open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to that which you would have us to know. Uh, and Father, I pray, that, I pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted up here this morning. Uh, Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that does know Christ as their Savior, that God, today they would put their faith and their trust in Jesus. God, that you would just speak through me. Lord, these, these good folks have come today to hear from you, not from me. So God, just speak through me, that which you'd have me to say. And uh, Lord, we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So did you notice the way these simple shepherds responded to the events uh, that uh, they witnessed on that first Christmas? It says in verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen as it was told unto them. I mean, they were excited, and rightfully so. They should be excited. You know, they, they saw the pronouncement of Christ's birth. I mean, could you imagine being a shepherd out on the hill? It's a dark night, and all of a sudden, an angel appears, and then a whole multitude of angels, and they're singing, and they're praising God. Uh, that had to be so incredibly exciting. And they were excited about the prophecy of, of Jesus' birth. Uh, you know, uh, the angel had told the shepherds that a savior had been born who was Christ the Lord. The term Christ is not a name, it's a, it's a title. And uh, they no doubt were familiar with the Old Testament, uh, and they knew the prophecies that spoke of the fact that one day God would send a deliverer uh, that would come to the earth, and that he would be called the Christ. It literally means the anointed one. But I think the shepherds here were most excited about what they saw when they looked into the manger to behold 
the Christ child. It's not that, it's not what they knew, it's who they saw, I believe, that really got them excited. I mean, they saw the Messiah. They saw Jesus. Verse 17, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. The word seen here is a word that means uh, more than just giving something a passing glance. It means more than just kind of, you know, a quick once over. It it has this idea that it's a a long gaze. It's kind of looking at it and just pondering. It's it's looking and thinking. It's being very intentional. It's capturing your attention. Because you see, if this, if what we're reading here today in the Gospel of Luke is true, and I certainly believe it is, then this is more than a fable. It's more than a story. This is the greatest thing that has ever happened in all history. God has come down to earth in the form of a man. And I believe that the the, the evidence is overwhelmingly uh, evident that this is indeed what happened in Christ's birth is indeed true. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. So the question that probably was in the minds of these shepherds is, who is this Christ child? And that's what I want to share with you today, just five quick things. First, I want you to see that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. Chapter 2, verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The Bible declares that the baby that was born in the manger was the eternal, the almighty, the omnipotent, all-powerful God. You see, Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem, although he put on human flesh there. He has been eternal. Jesus always was, always is, and evermore shall be. The Bible declares that Jesus is the creator of the universe, John 1 verse 3 says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus made everything. He existed long before he was born uh, in the manger. That's just when he put on flesh and came down to be our savior. Paul said it like this. He said, uh, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Scripture is clear when it says that Christ created all things in heaven and in earth. So all angels, all creatures, all animals, all humans, every species, every phylum, he created everything visible, everything invisible. He created the the mountains, and the storms and the the invisible atoms that make up things. Jesus created it all because he is Lord. The Bible clearly, unequivocally, and undeniably declares that Jesus is God. So this little baby that the shepherds looked in to see, they they were looking at God in the flesh. Isaiah 9, you know, Isaiah was the premier Old Testament prophet, and he stared into the future in his days, and he saw this baby uh, and prophesied, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
You see, my friends, Jesus is Lord. He created it all. But not only is he Lord, Jesus is life. If you listen to what John said, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. There are two different words used for life in in the Bible. One is bios, and that refers to biological life, the basic physical life that's possessed by animals and, 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 and plants and humans. And then there's another life, it's called Zoe, and and it refers to life in the fullest. It's the life that God himself promises to us. It's the life that he possesses. And the Bible declares that Jesus is life. He's Zoe. He's life in the fullest. In three different passages, John talks about life. And he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it in the full. And Jesus speaking in John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And finally, John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and say it with me, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came to give us new life. New life, not physical, not, not biological life, but, but real life, Zoe life. We can have biological life without Jesus, but you can't have spiritual life. You can't have absolute life, fulfilling life, complete life, real life, the life that we were intended to have apart from Jesus Christ. Living without Christ is like living in an empty, hollow shell. And so we want that life that God offers to us. And the Bible declares that Jesus is the source of that real life. And when you come to Christ, his life becomes yours. That's that's how we're able to have eternal life because our life is in Jesus Christ. And, And our life is eternal because Jesus is eternal. So that's what it means to become a Christian. It means exchanging my empty life for his life of fullness. Exchanging my short life for his eternal life. Exchanging my sinful life for his pure life. Exchanging my self-ruled life for his spirit-filled life. Exchanging my broken life for his perfect life. Being a Christian means experiencing and enjoying and expressing the very life of Christ himself. So when the shepherds gazed into the stable that night, they saw the Christ child. They didn't just see a baby. They saw the Lord. They saw the key to life. 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So the shepherds looked and they asked the question, who is this Christ child? He is Lord. He is life. But not only that, Jesus is light. John describes further what he saw in John uh, 1 verse 4. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not received it. You know, the first thing you do when you walk into a dark room is you turn on the light, you know, because you don't want to trip, you don't want to fall, you don't want to hurt yourself. Um, When... Jesus came into this dark world 2,000 years ago. He turned on the light. 
Jesus is the light. Unfortunately, the majority of the world is still stumbling around in darkness, looking to try and find meaning and purpose and hope in life because they've rejected the light that is offered by Christ. Light is an amazing thing. Uh, scripture, or, or scientists rather, teach us that light travels at the speed of 186,282 miles per second. Light can travel around the earth seven times in the click of one second. It's just amazing. Einstein said that he could, he could construct the theory of relativity because of, because of one unchangeable constant, the speed of light. I want you to see that there is in the world one thing that never changes. There is one unmovable, unchangeable, one immutable constant, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the constant that we can build our lives around. So at this time, when we see all of these lights, everywhere you look at Christmas, it's lights, lights, lights. It's why we, it's why we hang lights. It's why we, it's why we put strings of lights everywhere um, because they are a reminder. They are a picture of the fact that Jesus brought light into a dark world. Probably my favorite part of the entire Venture Christmas celebration is just the, the unbelievable amount of lights throughout the entire uh, space that night as it just lights up the night and then as 700 and some people hold up that candle, it is just truly beautiful. And we do all of this as a reminder of the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. So these shepherds, they saw the fact that Jesus, he is Lord, he is life, he is light. But Jesus was also the lamb. John chapter one, verse 29 says, the next day he, that's John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love the word that John uses here to get people's attention. He says, behold. Now, this isn't a word that we use much today. The, the word behold means to, to stop, to, 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 to observe, to, to understand, to, to appreciate, to, to stop what you're doing and to look. And uh, I, I'm going to start a campaign to bring this word back, and we're going to start using the word behold. You know, I think I'm going to start when I'm grilling. And I get, a, get that plate of steaks and I walk in the house and the whole family's here. I'm going to say, behold. <laughs> and just let everybody stop and observe and appreciate the magic that happened on that plate. <laughs> but in the culture of, of John the Baptist's day, when Jesus walked up, when, they, when, when John the Baptist said, behold, everybody understood that word was to mean to be, hey, stop, pay attention. Hey, guys, listen up. That's what, that's what he was saying. He said, hey, guys, behold. See that man there? He's the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He was sacrificed for the sins of the world. You know, the, the whole story of Christmas is incomplete if you don't realize that this baby that was born in the manger was born with a mission. He had a purpose. His mission was to die for the sins of the world. The, the cradle means nothing without the cross. And in God's perfect redemption plan, 
It required a blood sacrifice to cover, to atone for one's sin. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, where Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because it was a blood sacrifice and Cain's was not. Genesis 22, God allowed a ram to be sacrificed in place of Isaac, Abraham's son. In Exodus, a lamb was sacrificed and his blood provided protection for the people of God as the death angel passed over at Passover. And you get to Exodus chapter 29, Leviticus 3, 4, and 5, number 6. We see that the requirements of a blood sacrifice were written into the law. And a a lamb was to be slain as a substitute to cover, to pay for people's sins. And so, for year after year, decade after decade, century after century, people would bring their innocent, spotless, flawless little lamb into the temple to be sacrificed as a, as a payment for their sins. Until one day, when God came and Jesus became the lamb. Jesus became the substitutionary lamb. God, God sent us his perfect lamb and then sacrificed that lamb on Calvary's cross as a payment for my sins, your sins, and for the sins of the whole world. So maybe that's why the announcement of the birth of Christ was made to shepherds first. I mean, why wasn't it made to merchants or, or to kings or to soldiers or to you know, carpenters or to farmers? Why was it made to shepherds? I believe it's very possible it was made to shepherds because who better than shepherds understood the significance of God sending a lamb into the world? I mean, the reality is these these shepherds that were in these fields around Bethlehem were probably the ones that were raising the sacrificial lambs that they would use in the temple in Jerusalem, just several miles up the road. They were probably the ones that were tasked with raising these, feeding these, protecting these lambs who would then be taken into the temple and would then be sacrificed as a, as a covering, as a payment for sin. And now God through the angels, comes and tells this group of shepherds that there's a new lamb coming and he's born in Bethlehem tonight. And he revealed it to a bunch of shepherds. The lamb of God had been born in the fullness of time. It was that time. The one and final sacrificial lamb had been born that night. Now, why would God go to such lengths to redeem fallen mankind? Why would he he do this? Well, it's because number five, Jesus is love. John explains that Jesus was God's gift of love to the world. I think we probably all know this, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. Listen, if anyone needs evidence or proof of the evidence of God's love, you don't have to look any further than the manger in Bethlehem. Look at the magnitude of the gift that God gave when he gave his own son. He gave the the prize jewel of heaven, the shining prince of glory. He gave his only begotten son that couldn't be replaced. 
And he gave Jesus. He sent Jesus to the earth. I could never imagine giving up one of my children for anyone. And yet God gave up his son because he loves me, because he loves you, because he loves the world. We see a couple wonderful truths about God's amazing love. God's love is immeasurable. For God so loved the world. I don't think there's any human relationship that can begin to compare with God's love for us. His love for us is beyond comprehension. Believe it or not, 30 years ago, I used to be a worship leader and a youth pastor, and there was an old hymn that I used to love to lead uh, because the words, the words of, this, of this hymn were just so powerful. I just want to read you to it. I'm not going to sing them, so re relax. <laughs> the songwriter put it this way, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. We can't even comprehend how much God loves us. He loves us. In our fallenness, in our brokenness, when here we are with shattered, broken lives, when so many other people have rejected us, so many other people have hurt us and left us feeling unloved. There are so many people who have been mistreated, molested by parents and step-parents, people who have been the butt of harassment and jokes their whole lives people who've been the victims of spousal abuse, people who've been used by their company as pawns. Some people have been crushed by a spouse who walked out on them for someone else. Some senior citizens feel forgotten and unappreciated. Children feel shattered by their parents' divorce. You see, all of these need to know the unmeasurable love of God. There is a God who will never do those things, who loves them unconditionally. He loves them so much. Do you understand that God loves you unconditionally? This verse says, does not say that God loves the righteous. It doesn't say that God loves the good people or the religious people or the people who go to church. He doesn't love just the attractive people. It doesn't say that God loves the rich and the famous or God loves the ones who love him back. No, it doesn't say that. It says God so loved the world. That's everyone. That's all of us. It's you, it's me. It's the lovely and the unlovely, the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the bad, the attractive and the unattractive, the rich and the poor, the successful and the failures, the winners and the browns. Do you understand that there is nothing you can do to make, you, make God love you anymore? And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Do you realize that God's love for you is not conditional upon you and what you've done? God loves you so much. 
He's Lord. He's life. He's light. He's the Lamb. He is love. But can I ask you this morning, who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Because it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the shepherds thought that night. What matters is who do you think Jesus is? Is he your Lord? Is he the light in your life? Is he the Lamb of God that took away your sin? Is he the love of your life? My friends, Christmas is all about Christ. You know, with all the traditions that we pass down in life, I can think of no greater message, no greater truth, no greater tradition, no greater hope for us to pass from one generation to the next than the message of Christmas and just who Jesus is. Parents, grandparents, you have an incredible responsibility to pass on to your children and grandchildren the truth of who Jesus Christ really is. So don't get caught up in all of the things that we do at Christmas time and miss that which is most important. Make sure that your kids and grandkids understand who this little child in the manger was and is and why he came to earth. He came because he loves you, your children, your grandchildren. He loves every person on this planet. He loves them all is Jesus to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we marvel, we marvel, God, that you love us so much that you would send Jesus to this earth to pay for our sins when he had done nothing wrong and yet Jesus Christ took upon himself my sins and the sins of the whole earth. So God Almighty, this morning, we just say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to bring life and light and hope into this world. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, maybe, maybe today's conversation and discussion here in the Word would, would trigger a a thought, a consideration. Maybe they would behold and stop and pay attention and look and listen. And maybe, God, they would just pray, say, God, just reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. Speak to me, Lord, I pray. So, Lord, we thank you. We celebrate this beautiful time today. And, God, I pray that you'd help us to pass our faith on to our children, our grandchildren, our great